he's preaching some intense stuff. And he says, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd says, what should we do then? What should we do? And even verses that are not even about repentance necessarily, even verses that are about prayer. When the, when the disciples go to Jesus, they want to learn how to pray. One of them doesn't go and says, hey, teach me how to pray. He says, teach us to pray. Yeah. And then as Jesus teaches them how to pray, he's like, give us our daily bread. Yeah. Forgive us our sins. Again, so much of the Bible is communal. Not this individualistic, this is me. No, it's we're in this together. Like the theme of our year, we're in this together. And so, again, whenever we hear the, the call to repent, we, we and even through this campaign, you probably thought it, and rightly so, you probably thought, okay, yes, this is the area that I need to change personally, and you've looked at personal ways, and, and that is correct thing to do, we need to do that. But then there does come a time where we need to say, okay, how do we need to repent? As a family, as a Bible talk, as a house church, as a as a church, as Birmingham, how do we need to repent? That repentance is done together. And why? Why is so much of the Bible about together? And it's this idea that the church orients us. And if you've read um, a book by Ed Anton called Repentance, he talks about this idea of the church orients us. And in fact, it's so much so throughout history that, that great architects, as they were designing cathedrals and church buildings throughout the centuries, they would actually orient the building a certain way to face east-west. And it came from the scripture in Matthew 24 about the coming of, of Jesus from the east and west. And, and so it was this idea that they wanted, they wanted the, uh, the church to, as people go in, they're directed, awaiting Jesus' coming. That the church was to orient us to joyfully wait for Jesus' coming. And obviously that's a physical church building, but how much more so with the actual church? Not just the building that's oriented, but, but that we are meant to orient one another to wait for Jesus' coming. You think, wow, how awesome is the church. But then what happens when the whole church goes a bit askew? Is disoriented. Not on that right axis. What was once so clearly a community of people that had their, their eye on the ball, that were um, that remembered the, the, the confession they made that Jesus is Lord and I will live for Jesus no matter what. What happens when God be askew on that? And we forget. And then we, we get distracted as a group community. And just like that, that idea of, of when, you know, that idea of how to cook it or boil a frog, you don't just throw them into boiling water, you put them in and you slowly turn it up, and, and the frog has no idea what's even going on. And the truth is, we're, we're all like that. that. Slowly but surely, all together, we can slowly disorientate, and we don't even realize. And with the frog, it takes a, you dropping another frog into the pot, that that frog freaks out, and alerts the other frog, and that frog can then jump out as well. 
And it sometimes takes that for us. That we need to, the word of God to, oh my goodness, what's happened? We're now we're north-south instead of east-west. That we're, we're no longer focused on Jesus the way we should be. And this isn't, again, this isn't just me personally, but this is us as a church, that we must come together. And the scripture we're reading from today in Acts chapter 19 depicts this so well. We see this amazing sense of this corporate or communal repentance. A group of people changing. And so turn turn to your Bibles uh, in Acts chapter 19. Verse 11. And we come into this passage, and prior to this, Paul had been doing some amazing things. There's that classic scripture that probably most of us will know about in the halls of Tyrannus, and, and the word is discussed and preached, and it spreads throughout all the province of Asia so that everyone hears. You think, wow, how awesome. And then we get to this part where there's this amazing scene in, in verse 11 of Acts chapter 19. Says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, "In the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out." Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews, the Greeks living in Ephesus, the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came openly to confess what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 fragments. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Great scripture. So much stuff happening in there. And, um, and it's amazing. It starts out and it says that God did these extraordinary miracles through Paul. So much so that even bits of clothing that happened to touch Paul were then used as, as tools to, to heal people and to drive demons out. And you can imagine as people are seeing this thinking, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I want to be a part of this. And people did. People wanted to get in on the action. And so there are these, these seven sons of Sceva who decided we can go around and drive that demons as well. That was epic. <laughs> you see that cloth and touch that dude and then bam! We want to be a part of that. And so they go around and they're driving out demons, but they say, we drive you out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. <laughs> <laughs> There's something different about these guys, isn't it? Something just not genuine about it. And so they come to this one spirit, 
And the Spirit's like, uh, yeah, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I know who you think you are. <laughs> Trying to drive me out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches? He's like, what? He's like, that's not going to work. And the dude, demon possessed, jumps on this guy, or these guys, and just beats them up. And it's this intense scene. Oh my goodness. What on earth is going on? And then from this, we, we get this amazing event in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks, said they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord was held in high honour. That, that they were so scared by what happened to the, the sons of Sceva that they said we need to respect the name of the Lord. That, that we can't go about faking this. This, this. We need to be real. We can't just go around playing church, go around doing the church stuff, but really we have no personal faith in Jesus ourselves. And we haven't got that real relationship that Paul did have, but these sons of Sceva did it. But it's amazing, it wasn't just people sitting back and saying, and those sons of Sceva are messed up, aren't they? No, it affects others as well. That, that they started to think that our faith has got to be the real deal. And it said from, from all those events, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their sins. Those who practiced magic came and burnt all their scrolls. And it's interesting because I've always read this and I've always thought that this was like a moment of conversion for these guys. These guys are becoming disciples at this point, but it actually said many who believe that these people were already disciples. And yet somewhere along the track, whether it was still sin that was lingering in their lives, maybe, or they had gotten disorientated, and they went back to some of the old ways of their lives. Maybe they still had some of these scrolls buried in the basement. We don't know exactly, but, but there's a sense that they weren't orientated on Jesus. And that, that this, is, this is a moment of repentance, of reorientation. And so these disciples had drifted back to, to these scrolls, and these scrolls were, they sort of varied. They had some that were kind of like this, like a little amulet. They don't have maybe a few words, but, but they weren't just like pagan. Actually, many that they found, I haven't found any from Ephesus because it was such a wet uh, environment, but they found them in Egypt because it's so dry. And, and many of them actually had like Jewish sayings from the Bible and, and even Christian things about Jesus. And so... It wasn't like just pagan. It's kind of like this mixture where there was this everyone was getting in on. And so they varied from that to basically they some were hundreds of words and almost like proper scrolls or books. But basically, the way these would generally work, well they would use them to chant and to somewhat pray, I guess. But even then, what would happen is as as they would die. As people would die, they would bury these scrolls or amulets with them. And it was almost like this security for the afterlife. That they were so afraid of what might happen afterwards. And you get this idea that they're trying to look the same player on both sides. And I trust God, but just in case. 
And that they, they once confessed that Jesus was Lord. Their security was in God. And now they're disoriented to the point where they didn't have complete security in God. And they needed to go to other things. They, they hung on to these, these superstitious things. No longer was there total trust in God. Now in these things, these superstitious things, this, this drifting away from repentance and mind change that had once occurred. And isn't it the same for us? That, that when, when you made that, that confession that Jesus is Lord, there was that certainty, nothing is going to stop me. I'm, not, I'm never giving up. My, my faith is 100% in this. I don't care what happens. I'm going to get to be with God. And then over time, things happen, our lives get busy, and we start putting security in a good job. Getting that big house. Our family. A relationship, education, and these things which were always important, but always second to God become first. And it happens to all of us. And as a church, not just individually, but as a church, we all get disoriented. And we need to have that moment of, wow, no. I'm going back to my first love. What Donna mentioned, back to what I first said when Jesus is Lord. Come on. That we, that if we're far from being the church that God wants us to be, we will get back to that. No matter what. And the key is, really, is, is to see that the power of the Lord is not to be messed with. That's what these guys saw. So this is not to be messed with. This is real. So much is at stake. And so they decide we need to leave our sin behind and they come together as a group. And this brings us to our second point. Repentance is costly. Again, from this, the disciples heard what had happened. They saw the power that the true name of Jesus had versus the sort of fake, surfacey faith. And they made the decision we need to get back on track. They had this eye-opening moment. Not just, yeah, I guess I'm doing some and I guess I need to change. It was this eye-opening moment where, where they all come together and they start confessing their sins and they start burning these scrolls. And, and it's, it's amazing. And, and now these scrolls, it says, once they, they counted them up, someone actually was there counted them up, probably amazed at what God is doing. Like, wow, I didn't realize how much all this is worth. 50,000 drachmas, which, when you convert that to today's economy and like uh, equivalent type work into what this would be talking about, it's, it's around 4 million pounds that these scrolls are worth. That they burnt. No second thoughts. Maybe they were, but, but eventually, like, yeah, let's do it. But you imagine how easy it would have been to, to justify not burning them. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, just, I'll just stop using them. Isn't that enough? Yeah. I'll put them away. They're a family heirloom. Or maybe I'll sell them and give the money to the poor. Yeah. To the church. Wouldn't that be better? But no, true repentance is costly. True repentance is costly. And it would be so easy to not, but... But no, for them there was no halfway repentance. Yep. It was 
we respect God and we need 100% of mind change. What we, what we learned about the last couple of weeks, mind change. They weren't going to let these soul-destroying uh, scrolls get into the hands of someone else. They wanted them gone. They wanted complete repentance. And they decided that they weren't going to let sin linger any longer. And repentance still is costly. Still is for you and I. It's easy to try and play both sides. And we, you know, we go to church on a winter point with God. And, and, but then we also want to win points at work and be popular and fit in. And, and we, we try and play these both sides. And, and we don't ever just want to make a clean 180 degree U-turn repentance. I don't know, that, that, was, that is for myself. So often that, no, I'll just change a little bit. I don't want to change everything. Just change a little bit. I know I should cut this out of my life, but the cost is too much. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, I don't want to give up that comfortable life. But, but we need to see that that true repentance will always be costly. And we need to be willing to go after it regardless. Are you willing to repent no matter what the cost? Again, we're almost through the campaign, but but there's still a week. There's still much more than a week to repent, but but do do it now. Don't don't wait any longer. Because if you do, we will see and feel that renewal that we've been talking about. That refreshing that comes only from repentance. And third and finally, repentance is contagious. Repentance is contagious. Repentance is communal. Repentance is uh, costly. And repentance is contagious. See what I did there with the priest? Yeah. <laughs> I was so stoked. <laughs> <laughs> not afraid at all. It's all my cousin. Anyways, that's just silly. But repentance is contagious. And in verse 18, it says, Many of those who believe now can openly confess what they've done. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly, and then in verse 20 says, in this, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. These large groups coming together and confessing their sins. But you think that they had to be the first person. They didn't just all say it in unison. There was someone who, who said, you know what? It's my responsibility. Uh, I'm, yes, we need to, I'm a part of that. I'm the reason that we need to change. That person that that took responsibility, that that we as a body of disciples aren't being the shining lights of the world that we should, and it's my fault. And then what happened? Well, as what normally happens when someone's really humble, (laughs) yes, I need This is the way I've been distracted and disoriented. And then everyone started getting in and confessing their sins. And then from that, people start saying, and we need to burn these scrolls. I don't care how much it costs. You just see this contagiousness of what true repentance really does as we begin to live it out. And it's, it's beautiful when a group of people begin to repent. And in the same way that, again, that, that metaphor of, that example of the, the frog with the um, environment getting turned up with boiling water and stuff like that. In the same way, when, when spiritually, when we turn up the heat, zeal wise, and, and 
faith in God. As a community, we begin to change. As a church, we begin to see renewal, a new us. True repentance is contagious, and that's the way the word of, of God in verse 20, it, it, it spread widely and grew in power. Again, not, yes, there is this personal, this is how I need to repent, but it's, it's in a, it's in a, I guess, a, a context of we. And we all know what those environments, if you've been in like a, a sports team, like a football team or something like that, where, um, where you've been in a team and it's just been a happen team. And you guys rock up and you have a good you like living on And you win all the time, it's great, everyone's sort of building each other up, and there's just this unity and it's just so exciting. You like to rock up to training, you enjoy rocking up to Saturday, sport, whatever it is. And, uh, and that's, that's great. My first experience with a football team was not that. <laughs> it was this sort of mismatched sort of group and, and, and we were not really all in it together. There was, there was sort of negativity given it was not to be there. And, and it was just not fun to go to. We lost, of course, but, but it was just not fun to be there. But it was funny, in that, maybe two or three years later, a bunch of us in that same team, maybe half that team joined another team, and the environment was completely different. But yet the same sort of people, in a new environment, all of a sudden, we were reoriented. There was no paying people out, getting annoyed at people, oh, you messed up, come on, man. It was this, wow, we're in this together. What a, what a group and communal repentance will do to us is unbelievable. And we, we, again, we all know that. If someone is humble and confesses, you want to do the same, don't you? Too. And, and, I, and I've been, been really excited. It's been really exciting seeing different ways that repentance has started to take place, and even just seeing the men uh, on Wednesday night and even the women on Thursday night and as we were reaching out. But, but not just that we were reaching out and doing that, but, but there was a bit of excitement. Wow, we're going to do this. Even if we meet one person who's open, how awesome is that? And there was this excitement, and people were like, yeah, we should do some more. It was, it was amazing to see the environment start to change. But not just in that, but in our relationship with God. In our humility towards one another. In our forgiveness towards one another. In our love towards one another. As we model that, true repentance will be contagious. And I think the trouble is that so often it's not contagious is because we do it in private. And I think we do it in private, and no one can therefore see it, and we do it in private because we're generally embarrassed. So maybe a little curve between maybe like a husband and wife, where there's a team challenge we did this week, and it was awesome, and I really appreciated it, and I needed it. And, and that's great, but then sometimes that needs to be even confessed openly. So that we as a church can then be contained, wow, I'm going to repent as well. And really what Tara challenged me on was this idea of loving people. And I feel that as a, as a leader in the student ministry, and team ministry, that I have lost a lot of love. I've let um, annoyance, frustration turn to um, bitterness, anger, impatience, and not love. That, that I had, I had um, been, been distracted by, by negative things. Focus on negative things and not the positive. Getting bogged down. <laughs> and, 
And it, it's, it's humbling. I need to say, I need to take responsibility. Come on. Where the church is at. Me, me, personally. And then, as, as, as I do it, then we all then need to start taking responsibility. Yeah, you know what? Me too. This is the way that I've affected the atmosphere of the Birmingham church. And we all need to repent. And you watch how contagious that will be. As each of us start making decisions. Privately, yes, privately, but then this is the decision I made. Coming to get it. You, you watch as we do this. We will be renewed as a group. We as the body of Jesus, as, as Jesus ambassadors to the city of Birmingham, will be refreshed, renewed, in ways that we've never seen since the day of our But we have to remember that we're in this together. That we as a church need to be orientated towards Jesus. That repentance will be costly, but so worth it. And that as some of us take these radical sins towards sin in our lives, it will be contagious. And we will see renewal. We'll see this new us. And so as we take communion together now, as a community, as we take the bread and the wine, let's remember that this is what Jesus sacrificed himself for. His body, the church. That we could be changed to live lives of repentance. Lives that feel that renewal and refreshment. And let's really use this time to reflect. How have I contributed to where the Birmingham church is at? And how do I need to take a stand? And let's, let's take the communion in a worthy manner. And we'll see God renew us in us grace, mercy, and love, and second and third before the Jesus. Let's pray and pray. Dear Lord, just thank you so much for this time that we can come together, God, to be able to uh, focus our eyes on you. To be able to remember the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Not when we were good, not when we deserved it, in fact we never will, but when we were bad, when we rejected you, Lord. And yet, yet you sacrificed yourself, sacrificed your son on the cross for us, Lord. And I pray that, that we take this seriously, that I take this seriously. Not, not this fake Christianity, but but a real commitment to this. I take the communion and worthy of the Lord. I pray that you can forgive me for the ways that I sin, Lord, my lack of love, my lack of patience, my lack of kindness, and and that you can forgive me and grant me repentance, Lord. And that, that I can feel that refreshment and that, that that as each of us begin to take stands, that that we don't just personally feel it, but the Birmingham church is renewed. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace your unlimited chances till, till the end, Lord. And, and I just want to thank you so much and thank you so much for this group of disciples that you've given us, Lord. This family that we're in this together to the end. Thank you so much, Lord, and I love you so much. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thank you very much.